Good morning for the Financial Times. Today is Tuesday, August 29th. And this is your FT News Briefing. Goldman Sachs is saying goodbye to consumer banking. The president of Brazil wants to team up with his opponents. And Ukraine is asking for way more ammunition than Europe can produce. It would be an irony if, as Western governments are donating things like F-16 fighter jets, if the thing that is holding Ukraine back is just the shells that go into it. Plus, what would a bigger European Union look like? Bloc is thinking about accepting new members. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Goldman Sachs is selling off one of its financial planning units. The team is made up of about 200 employees and offers financial planning to customers who are well-off, but not exactly super wealthy. This sale is not a good look for Goldman's chief executive, David Solomon. He's faced a lot of criticism recently for his push into mass market financial planning. This is now the second Solomon-era deal that Goldman is undoing. The bank also put up its online lending service, GreenSky, for sale this year. There is an unlikely alliance forming between Brazil's left-wing and right-wing parties. Left-wing President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, also known as Lula, is close to finalizing a pact with political opponents. Here to explain is the FT's Michael Pooler in Brasilia. Hi, Michael. Hi, Mark. So, Michael, how did this potential deal come about? So if we just go back, Lula was elected last year. He narrowly beat right-wing President Jair Bolsonaro. But since Lula took power at the start of the year, he has struggled with some of his agenda to get it through Parliament. Now that's because his Workers' Party leads a coalition, but it doesn't have a majority in Brazil's Parliament. So the deal that's taking place here is essentially two right-wing parties are expected to trade congressional support in exchange for two cabinet posts in Lula's government. Now, what makes it quite remarkable is that these two same right-wing parties actually supported Jair Bolsonaro previously, and they were in his government. So what does Lula get out of this policy-wise? What is he hoping to pass with this new support that he's going to gain, potentially? So Lula was elected on a fairly left-wing progressive platform that included policies such as higher public spending, which he believes is necessary to reduce inequality and poverty in the country. Now, with this coalition, it's hoped that he will be able to finish off tax reform, which business and investors have said is dire needed for years now. And also, he should be able to get his budget approved, which will have more public expenditure in there, and it should help to fulfill his promises of greater social welfare spending. So what do other people you spoke to think about the coalition? A lot of investors and business people were quite relieved with the outcome of last year's congressional elections because conservative forces dominated the Congress. And many of people in the financial community believed that it would act as a break upon Lula's more radical instincts. So you might think that investors would be concerned about this new alliance, which will give Lula a much stronger and stable majority. However, the people I've spoken with, they've said, well, actually, it's a kind of a marriage of convenience and Lula will still have to negotiate things. They think that the inclusion of these parties in the parliament will still act as something of a moderating force on Lula. 
Michael Pooler covers Brazil for the FT. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Mark. The weather pattern El Nino is expected to be back soon, and it could raise global food prices even higher than they already are. That could lead to higher household inflation, and that could cause some central banks to keep interest rates higher for longer. El Nino happens twice a decade and usually peaks between November and February. This year, it's expected to hit South Asia and Central America, which could bring extreme heat and confuse crops. That could put even more strain on global food supplies. They're already being affected by the disruption of Ukraine's grain exports and India's export ban on certain types of rice. Ukraine has fought its way through Russia's first line of defense in the southern part of the country. Kyiv said yesterday that its troops took control of a strategic village not far from the Dnipro River. It's a sign that Ukraine's lackluster counteroffensive might be accelerating. But the European defense industry is barely keeping up with demands for ammunition. Ukraine can fire more rounds of artillery in a month than all of Europe can produce in an entire year. The FT's Richard Milne says that's because there's been relatively little investment in the defense sector for decades. I think we sort of have to have a bit of a look at history. You know, after the Cold War, there was this idea that there was a peace dividend in much of the West. And so defense spending generally was taken down. Now, uh, things like artillery, ammunition last a long time. So most countries had great stocks of this. So they've been able to use those stocks for a long time, meaning that, you know, ammunition producers have been making much less. And then suddenly the Ukraine war started and suddenly this gap between what the companies can produce and what Ukraine, other Western companies want is just enormous. One big factor is that government contracts for ammunition tend to be annual, which is short in the grand scheme of things. But obviously, when you're building a factory, the payoff time can be a decade, can be two decades. You want to know that the demand is there for some time. And manufacturers are kind of worried that governments are a bit fickle and that maybe if the war in Ukraine was to stop in a year or two, or or they would suddenly to decide that they didn't want that type of artillery, but they wanted something else, that they might change. And so, you know, it's it's a lot of risk and could potentially bankrupt them. The European Union has promised to buy 2 billion euros worth of ammunition for Ukraine this year, but Richard says so far it's all just talk. And that's making the defense industry a little jittery. Well, it's a bit of a tango between the, the, the two sides, really, the government and the defense industry. The defense industry are saying we're willing to invest, but we need either money from the governments or some kind of long-term commitments in terms of contract level. I think there's a feeling from the defense industry side, the governments have maybe been a bit slow on the uptake over this but it's kind of slowly filtering through. And, you know, it it would be an irony if, as Western governments are donating things like F-16 fighter jets and leopard tanks and all sorts of uh, heavy artillery systems, if the thing that is holding Ukraine back is just the shells that go into it. That's the FT's Richard Milne.
Before we go, it might be time to add a new buzzword to your vocab. Ladies and gentlemen, dear friends, today I want to talk about enlargement. Enlargement. Yesterday, European Council President Charles Michel proposed a target date for adding new members to the European Union. The window of opportunity is open. We need to act on it. I believe we must be ready on both sides by 2030 to enlarge. Michel's speech kicks off debate about the future of the EU. Leaders will have their first dedicated discussion on enlargement in Spain in early October. Russia's war against Ukraine has resurrected talks that had basically been dormant for years. Candidate countries include Ukraine, Moldova, and Albania, and there are potentially five more in the running. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com for free when you click the links in our show notes. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.